Well, hello, friends. Hey, you know that part where, like, the guest preacher has to say something nice, uh, you know, just, just, you know, about the church and, and the parties involved? I, I usually skip that part because uh, sometimes when I guest preach, I don't really know the church and I don't know anybody in the room. Uh, but in this case, I, I know this church and I, I really respect this church. I've been looking forward to preaching here. Uh, I, was, I was grateful to be invited, um, so thank you for that. Uh, I love your history. Um, I also love your, your present moment, and, and I, I love the future that, that God has this, this church on. And I, I, really, I really think very highly of, of JP. Um, it's been really great. I know I'm going to embarrass you here, but it's been really great getting to know you these past few years in our pastoral cohort. Um, I love how you lead without ego, um, and I just love how normal you are. And those are the types of people... <laughs> That I want to be around, like, like I, I've, I've seen enough perfect leaders in my life, uh, but the normal leaders, like those are the ones that I want to become more like and um, and be around. So, so thanks for having me. And by the way, and you got Jason Cross here now. I don't know if Jason's in the room, so I'm going to embarrass you. Oh, you're, here you are, right here, right here. We we had him for a hot second um, at Grace Chapel um, around COVID and all of that, and. Um, if you're like me and like you're you're around music and you're around worship leaders and you love music, but you're not a musician, um, that's me. Um, you're gonna be really impressed with Jason. Like he he can sing and do anything musically, uh, traditional, contemporary, all the nuances in between. I think country, pr- probably goth metal worship. I, I don't, that's probably you guys are into that, right? Yeah, uh, but you, you guys are you guys are very very blessed in that sense. So thank you. Well, earlier uh, this month in December, uh, our church had a, our annual Christmas party, and we met in our fellowship hall that's called the Courtyard, and, and we had like this wonderful breakfast for lunch type of setup. We sang some carols. We, we, we have a, a guy who, he's a, we, we, we brought in Santa Claus, um, and we had a, um, a, a gingerbread making contest. Our senior pastor gave a, um, a meditation for Advent, and it was, it was a beautiful time. Um, the, the gingerbread making, the gingerbread house making contest got, got, a little, got a little intense, and as we, my table and I, were, were building this, this epic gingerbread house, um, somebody just kind of threw out the softball question of like, hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And, you know, all the, all the classics were mentioned, you know, Home Alone and Elf, Charlie Brown Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life. You probably have some favorite Christmas movies. Well, how would you answer your favorite Christmas movie? Go ahead. Shout it out. Excellent. Right, some, some good ones here. Excellent. Excellent. One person on our table said, Love Actually. Like, Love Actually? And then that forced another, that forced another person to say, like, Die Hard, because, like, you know, that's technically a, a, a Christmas movie. And, and, and then you can start feeling the opinions like really starting like, you know, like to, to really get in there. And, and then you could feel this conversation was going to get a little bit more intense because we we're starting to judge each other by, you know, what, what Christmas movie that they were that they were you know, they were mentioning. And like there's that phrase that was like that escalated quickly. Like you could feel you could just feel that happening. And I'm telling you, friends, our gingerbread house was not the same after that. Now, we were able to kind of like, you know, just like make sure this, con- this conversation didn't get, get too intense. But it did remind me that just about any conversation you have right now can, can become controversial. Just about any conversation that we have can, 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 can go awry. And I, 
It's one of the reasons why there's so much anger and violence in our world and also why we are all starving for peace. It's such a violent world. we, We know this, global violence and local violence and violence is all throughout our lives. You might be thinking to yourself, I... I don't think I'm that violent of a person. I mean, maybe you think, like, I, mean, I get mad at times, but, like, no one around me is concerned that I'm going to hurt them. And for the most part, that's probably true of you. But I bet if you reflected on how much violence versus peace there is in your life, you might be surprised. Here's one that surprised me. Have you noticed that many of our compliments are violent? I mean, these days, it's become part of our normal language to tell a friend that did a great job by saying, you crushed it. Oh, you killed it at work today. I mean, years ago, if you would have told the worship leader, you killed that song, they would have been horrified. Oh, no, I ruined it. Now you go up to Jason Cross and you say, you killed that song. He's going to say, yes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Thank you. I mean, go to your coworkers this week and, and give them compliments. Oh, you wrecked it at Excel this week. Go to your dentist and tell them, you demolished that root, root canal. <laughs> Destroyer, crusher, killer. All compliments. In fact, the compliments are only limited by the violent words that we can come up with. We have normalized violence so much in our lives that even our compliments our violence, our hearts are craving peace in this violent world. And so today, I, I want to invite you to see yourself as a peacemaker, the Jesus type of peacemakers. So when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, I want you to receive that blessing. And if you know what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, you know that this is part of the upside-down world that Jesus is proclaiming. He says things like, you have to lose your life to find it. Whoever wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of God must see themselves as the least, he says. And Jesus, he he models this life of of service and of sacrifice and of of forgiveness and, and, of course, of love and of peace. And peace, what the world sees as weak, Jesus says, when done for our Heavenly Father and in service to one another, then in the kingdom, that is what strength looks like. That is what power looks like. That is what righteousness looks like. This kind of like, you know, feels off to me whenever we talk about peace in this way. Because the world doesn't respect peace like that at all. And I took a a stab at writing a different type of beatitudes. Did you catch that? A stab? I took a stab. (laughs) I took a shot at writing a different type of beatitudes. And, And they're more in line with the unwritten rules of life that we have come to know. Probably the first time you've heard of them, but maybe they'll feel familiar to you anyway. Versus, blessed are the selfish and greedy, for they have to get theirs. <laughs> blessed are they who are the life of the party, for they figured out how to win at life. They deserve to be happiest. Blessed are the ruthless, for no one dare to mess with them. Blessed are those that present well, for they have successfully hidden their pains. Blessed are the winners, for they get to make all the rules. Blessed are those who are able to figure it out with their smarts, talents, and hustle. That's it. (laughs) I've thought about this. The distinction between being a cultural Christian and 
and the way that the world sees Christianity, and then contrasting that with being a growing disciple of Jesus. It's easy to get confused. Here are the real Beatitudes that Jesus gives. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just take a second and just just let that wash over you for a moment. Those are the words of Jesus. And it's quite the difference to that imitation Beatitudes that I wrote earlier. I mean, the world's Beatitudes perpetuates violence and promotes this winning-at-all-costs type of attitude, and, and it perverts beauty and the power of peace. And the ancient world, the Roman world, it, they talked about peace a lot. In fact, they had this term called the Pax Romana, which directly translates to the peace of Rome. And Rome had this vision of peace like they wanted everybody to, to kind of get along, but they, they enforced that peace by their sword. And their, their vision of peace was basically, if you don't listen to what we say, we kill you. But if you do listen to what we say, hopefully nothing bad happens to you. That was their vision of peace. And similar to that, to that poor imitation of the Beatitudes that I gave, this, that was a disappointing and limiting vision of peace. And it's often why like, I'm not really that inspired when people talk about peace. And if, if peace just means no violence happens to you, I'm holding out for something better. We're preaching about peace today, and peacemaking specifically. And sometimes it, it does sound trite. And I find that cheap peace is when there's a call to peace, but there's no or little acknowledgement to the pain or damage that has been caused. In order to discover real peace, in order for two people or two parties to experience true, authentic peace, both the pain of what has happened must, must be acknowledged and the hope for a mutually beneficial future must also occur. I'll say that again. In order for two people or two parties to experience peace, both the pain of what happened must be acknowledged and the hope for a mutually beneficial future must occur. Again, the absence of violence often refers to as peace. That's, that's basic. But when Jesus talks about peace, he talks about this, this Hebrew word, shalom. And that shalom is, is a, it gives a vision of a new redeemed world where justice and love and goodness and hope rule. That's the Jesus type of peace. That's the shalom that he describes. And that's the peace that I believe that our souls desire. And so as followers of Jesus, we ought to be the ones that show the world this extraordinary type of Jesus' peace. And so today I want to share with you, because that many of us have received the peace of Jesus, we can be peacemakers in three ways. And the first is peace and conflict. That's the one that we normally think about. And I understand that, that this, first, this first point is a bit loaded and, 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 and tough, but, we, but we'll, we'll, we'll get through it together. 
As we know, our, our eyes are, and our attention is focused on the Middle East with what is happening in, in Gaza between Israel and Palestine and Hamas. And we, as part of the rest of the world, we watch. I am a Middle Easterner. My parents were born and raised in Egypt. They immigrated here in the 70s. I was born uh, in this country, in New Jersey. Uh, but I grew up with all the stories that Middle Easterners and immigrant families share with their children. I learned about the persecution stories. I learned that what my family had suffered and many other Egyptians and Middle Easterners had suffered. Half my family is Protestant. The other half is, is Coptic Christian. And if you know anything about Protestants and Coptic Christians, you know like the Coptic Christian Church has endured so much persecution over the years. They are a larger population, and, and they also have these beautiful, ornate churches scattered all throughout the Middle East, so they're easily targeted. And so I grew up praying for the Coptic Church and, and for persecuted Christians, and I, I also grew up with this understanding that there's so many people caught in the crossfire of life. I often, I often find that it's very important for me to put my opinions and my personal narratives and, and even my heart-held convictions a little off to the side so that I can be attentive to the current moment, so that I can empathize with those who are suffering on all sides. Like particularly in this moment with Israel and Palestine, it allows me to pray with a clearer conscience. If, if I can move those convictions, just slide off, off to the side so I can empathize and pray. So truth be told, I'm just as brokenhearted for the 1,200 Israelis that were killed in the surprise attack by Hamas on October 7th as I am for the thousands of Palestinians who have been killed by Israeli forces in response. I'm concerned with the displacements of, of hundreds of thousands and millions of people. And friends, I invite you to lament every single life that has been impacted by this, to resist the taking of sides, and to, and to lament and, and, and grieve with those who are grieving. Today I want to call attention to to one of the aunts of one of my closest friends, and probably similar to other immigrant communities in Egyptian culture, everybody's your aunt and everybody's your uncle. Your people are their people and their people are your people type of a thing. Uh, if you want a quick Arabic lesson, the word for aunt in Arabic is tunt. So it's like ants with a T out in front. Do you want to try it? Tunt. And, and the word for uncle in Arabic is uncle. You want to try that? <laughs> uncle. Very good. That's, you're, you're halfway there. And, and so my friend Bassem, um, he, he has this aunt, um, and I'll, I'll tell you about her in a second, but my, my friend Bassem and I, we've been friends all of our lives. My parents and his parents were friends when, before they were even married to their spouses, and they were all college kids at the University of Cairo. So that's how far back, you know, this friendship goes back. And so when they all immigrated here in the 70s, you know, these, these all close friends would vacation together. Bassam and I would go up to Camperia together. We'd be in each other's weddings, and we'd held each other's babies, and all that stuff. And so when he sends this text message um, in our fantasy football chat, because we're all close friends, have to have fantasy football leagues, he says, he says hey, I need you to pray for my aunt. She's, she's the one in Gaza right now. And her name is Tunt Sohalia, and she's the director of the Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza City. And it was that hospital that was on our news channels you know, earlier these past few months, the one that was bombed and, and, and there was debate about all of that. As the war began, she and many of her coworkers stayed to treat the injured. And they were debating whether or not they should leave and how they should, what are they supposed to do in such a situation. Eventually, they were moved out. 
And because she acquired dual, dual citizenship years ago, she is currently in South Carolina at the moment. But her story and her perspectives have been captured in various news outlets, including CNN. And I can't attempt to give you all of her perspectives, but, but I do want to highlight this Palestinian Christian sacrificial heart and demonstration of care and love. If you Google and, and, and find this news story, uh, and you, you find this news clip, they, they call her the Palestinian Mother Teresa. It's, it's very compelling. And Palestine, it's, it's Palestinians like her that have helped me understand the nuances and the complexities of a people that have no state, that have no rights, and that have a terrorist organization such as Hamas hovering over them and living amongst them. The vast majority of Palestinians cannot leave, even if they wanted to. And so they suffer. And I have dear friends from Israel as well, with very spiritual backgrounds, and I, and I love them all. And I grieve, again, the October 7th attacks and, and all that is happening since then. My stomach gets sicker and sicker the more reports I read about what happened and what is transpiring now. So first, let's grieve together. Believe me when I tell you that it is complicated and deeply personal for all of us. And many have endured numerous wrongs from various parties and, and probably have done their share of inflicting their own sense of wrong. And if you like a podcast to listen to and consider, I invite you to listen to one called The Holy Post, where they speak with the former State Department official Todd Detheridge. Uh, he shares about his 15-year effort to help Americans understand the Israeli-Palestinian situation. Uh, and he's, he's very humble about it. You can find it at theholypost.com. Over the years, I've learned that you, you have your history and you have your pain, and you have your questions, and your beliefs, and your hopes. And for Jesus' followers, what trumps all of that is the call to be peacemakers. And this way of Jesus is our greatest calling. And so friends, will you pray for that type of peace? Will you seek that type of peace, the Jesus type of peace? Not that cheap peace that the world often describes. No, no, no. The Jesus type of peace that where we love our neighbors, where we pray for those who persecute us, where we show love to our enemies. Can we pray for peace? Yes, over there, but also right here, too. Blessed are the peacemakers. I mentioned there's three types of ways we can be peacemakers, and the first was peacemaking in conflict. The second is peace in loneliness. Now, there are different types of loneliness. There's the relational loneliness, but there's also the spiritual loneliness, and the passage that I want us to reflect on was, was read earlier by Pastor Dan from 2 Corinthians. And I just want to highlight a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And I love this part. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. And it goes on for a few more verses, and down in verse 20, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. A very foundational set of verses in the New Testament. You, you could spend a lot of time reflecting and, and, and meditating on that. But in, in summary, Paul is telling us that because we have experienced reconciliation with God through Jesus we then can become ambassadors of that message of salvation. Or think of it this way. We then can become ambassadors of that type of peace with Christ. Because of 
Jesus' extraordinary saving work, everything is different now. That's what it means. We're a new creation. There's a new order. There's a new way of doing things. And it's a radical new way. And so instead of, instead of seeing ourselves as soldiers for Christ, Paul is saying we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are peacemakers in the name of Jesus. Imagine if we saw ourselves again as peacemakers. If, if churches were known as, as a peacemaking community. And again, instead of choosing sides, we were the ones praying for wisdom and courage to broker peace. Instead of dehumanizing the other, we, we lived out the words of Jesus of, again, loving our neighbor and loving our enemy and praying for them. Instead of vengeance and retribution, we ask God for the miracles of going through the arduous processes of reconciliation and of forgiveness. Oh, it's very, very hard to be a peacemaker. It's much easier to choose a side. I'm reminded by the words of these, this African proverb that was given by the civil rights leader John Perkins and and, and, and theologian, he says, When I saw you from afar, I thought you were a monster. And when you got closer, I thought you were an animal. When you got even closer, I saw that you were human. But when we were face to face, I realized that you were my brother. One of the lessons here is that proximity gives perspective. In the midst of our relational and our spiritual loneliness, May we be challenged by this type of a peace. But friends, you won't be an effective peacemaker if you feel distant or isolated from the peace of Jesus. If you are not experiencing for yourself this type of peace, I want to encourage you. Spend time in prayer. Ask God for his nearness. I want to encourage you to spend time in, in passages like 2 Corinthians 5 and, and, and just meditating on the scripture. Spend time in the, the spiritual practices of meditation and of maybe Sabbath keeping or, or even fasting so you can experience this peace. We are living in, in, in anxious times. And that's the third movement that I want to talk about, peacemaking in anxiety. We're living in very anxious times. You probably have heard and read about all the, the high anxiety rates that, that Gen Z has. And you probably are familiar with the undiagnosed anxiety that older generations have. And I thought I could make an intense sermon sadder by giving you more statistics, <laughs> but I'm going to resist that urge for a, for a moment or two. There's a lot of anxiety, and I want to tell you a story. Because I think when you come to church on, on New Year's Eve, you should get extra credit for that, <laughs> right? Like, you, like, you, 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 like you, you could have got out of this one and been like, yeah, it's okay, we, we can kind of sleep in, but... But blessed are you who come to church on New Year's Eve. The economy of, 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 of the kingdom of God, by the way, runs on grace, but I, I still think there should be some, some extra credit. But I want to tell you about a story of, of a woman named Helen. And many years ago, I had met her when I became the youth pastor at this church in North Jersey. And I had just come out of this church in, in, in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. And, and that church, you know, man, it was a tough first church experience. I got beat up a little bit. I got tougher a little bit. Hopefully my heart was also softer in, 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 the, in the right places. But I, I was really excited about this New Jersey opportunity. And so like most young leaders, I, I came in pretty hot. I had all these ideas of change and things that I wanted to do, and I was passionate, I was energetic, and all of that. And for some people, that was, that was a, a breath of fresh air. Some people I connected with immediately, and I was off to a good start with them. For some people, it was too much change too soon. 
and there was a bit of frustration. And amongst them was my friend Helen. She was an older youth leader. She didn't have any children in the youth group anymore, but she had a heart for young people. And she was trying to find the balance of staying in that volunteer role and also supporting me and maybe even helping me. The thing was, I seemed to disappoint her a lot. And I, and I, I was told quite frequently of, of the many disappointments that I would give her, and she would, she would write me these long emails. And, and she, would, she, would, she would say things, I don't want to compare you to the former youth pastor. And then she would list like how great he was. But he was amazing. Oh, and he could just teach the Bible to anybody. Oh, and he could just, he had this gift, this uncanny gift of just being so relatable. Oh, and he was tall. He was like six foot seven. <laughs> I'm five foot seven. <laughs> he was just amazing. But don't worry, God has a plan for you too, Tim. <laughs> and I would call, and, and she, would, she would like, you know, just, just take things that I would say a little bit out of context and like write them in the email. And, and, and I would always like, you know, you find this, you get these long emails, you want to defend yourself to some extent, but I would, I would try to resist and just like, dear Helen, thank you so much for communicating with me. Let, let's try to sit down and have a cup of coffee and, 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 and you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. I, I would try my best not to, not to jab back. And I would call these things love letters. Because at the bottom of all, those, of all those emails, it was love in Christ, Helen, your sister, Helen. And I got all these love letters, and I was very, very loved, as, as you might imagine. Well, in the midst of all of this, we were planning on going on a mission trip to New Orleans. We were actually going to the town of Chalmette, which was just next to New Orleans. And this is on the, on, in light of the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Now, if you remember back then, uh, we were, uh, us talking about the levees broken and the Lower Ninth Ward, and all the water and flooding and damage that had occurred to the Lower Ninth Ward. The town of Chalmette was just on the other side of the Lower Ninth Ward. But they didn't receive as much attention and more importantly, state funding and federal funding, because they were outside New Orleans city limits. And that spoke to us up in New Jersey, and we, we, we felt like we want to minister to this community. There was a church that we, we, wanted, we were partnering with, and we were really excited about this mission trip. Again, I was a new youth pastor. I, I know parents had a lot of questions, and they wanted to, to see if they could trust this guy taking their kids a thousand miles away to New Orleans. So we had a parent information night. And I had my act together, friends. I really did. People were asking me where we're staying, who's going with, how we're getting there, all, all, all the things. I'd actually gone on a trip to scout out everything before, so I, I, I could say things like, you know, I was just down there the other week, and this is what I saw. I showed pictures, and the first 10 questions, I was answering them pretty, pretty well, if not flawlessly. <laughs> and then one lady raised her hand, and this, she was a, a sharp woman. She had three children in our youth group. She was articulate. She was great at her job. She was probably great at being a mother and a wife and a child of God. And she stands up, and she kind of commands a little bit of attention. And she's like, I have a question, but not about this trip. Like, oh, okay. I want to know what you believe about the existence of God, the deity of Christ, end times, evolution, creation. And, and on it went. And it was like, it was like a long question. And I was like, you know, like, I'm, I'm you know, a pretty thoughtful guy. I'm kind of like, like, okay, I know what I think about this, 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 this. And I, I, it was like a seven-minute question. Dash attack. And pretty much calling me a heretic. Because I've heard this, and I've, I've thought that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
And I want this lady on my side, and here she was against me. And, and I, was, I, I was trying to come up with, like, what am I going to say? I'm like sweating. There's like 30 people in the room, parents. I'm trying to get off to a, you know, a, a, a good relationship with this church. I was like, okay, thank you for asking this question. And it, you always have to say thank you, regardless of what it is. Thank you for calling me a heretic. I appreciate that. I would love to sit down with you and with your family and maybe one of the elders of our church. At the time, we were without a senior pastor because it feels like there's a lot for us to unpack. But until then, I want you to know I don't disagree with anything from our church doctrinal statement. And to my knowledge, I've never preached or said anything contrary to that. Uh, And so I I just want to give you that confidence. And I thought that was a pretty good answer. And she said, that's not good enough. I want to know. And she kind of went off. For a little, and I was losing control of the room. People are starting talking to each other more than they're listening to me. People are like, yeah, I have heard a few things that were a little questionable. Like all, all, all these sorts of things. I was losing control. And just then, a situation that could not get any worse was, was about to get worse because Helen stands up and says, I'd like to say something. Now, I don't know why she's in the room. She doesn't have any kids in our youth group. She's not going on this trip. She's there, just in the front seat, right, right there. And she, and she had like this, this squawking type of voice, just like constantly, just like harsh, unnecessarily harsh. Can I have a microphone? Like, no, 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 you're not speaking. And we're not giving you a microphone. And I'm trying to like get control of the room. Friends, friends, we, we've come a long way from this, this trip that we're talking about in New Orleans. And, and somehow, as I was saying that, somebody gives her a microphone. And so she stands up and she says, I have been here every Wednesday and Sunday listening to this man, and I want you to know. And I'm like trying to reach for the microphone (laughs) and update my resume at the same time. I want you to know that he has never, ever said anything unbiblical or contrary to the word of God. I was like, what? Oh, she's defending me. She's defending me. And she went on. And I'm telling you guys, her voice was the sweetest sound that you've ever heard. I mean, just just filled with empathy and wisdom and just just goodness. Just, oh, I could listen to her all day. And she says, in the midst of all that, she's like, look, I know there's been a lot of changes for all of us, for, for myself included. And she said, like, all these wonderful things about me and all these encouragements and superlatives and all that stuff. But what she did was that she brought down the anxiety of that room. And you could feel the room like, oh, man, if Helen likes this guy, this guy can't be too bad. And what Helen did was she was a peacemaker that day. In fact, she, she actually describes all three forms of these, this, peace, uh, this peacemaking that we're talking about today. Peacemaking in conflict. There was conflict. Peacemaking in loneliness. I felt spiritually, iso- I felt spiritually isolated. I felt very misunderstood. And I know that lady who was asking me the question, she also felt misunderstood, and she probably also felt her sense of isolation. So there was loneliness there. And of course, there was all this anxiety. Peacemaking in conflict, peacemaking in loneliness, peacemaking in anxiety. I love that story, because it spoke to me in, in, in numerous ways. And, and maybe Helen did love me as a sister in Christ. And she brought peace to this moment. And I look back on all that now, and and all that looks very different to me. That, that woman who stood up and called me a heretic, she became a dear friend of mine. Her son went on that trip to New Orleans. They raised three wildly successful children. 
If they ever moved to Boston, I would beg them to, to start a parenting course for us because they, they, they really have a, a, a good thing going. They were the, the families in that room who, who threw us a, a, a baby shower when we adopted our son. They were the ones who showed love and care to us over the years. They were the ones who helped us pack up our U-Haul. It wasn't perfect, but it was Christian community, and we needed peace. Friends, having experienced the peace of Jesus, we can bring peace to conflict, to loneliness, and to anxiety. As I was working on closing this message, I got stuck at a certain part in the conclusion. And our senior pastor, Pastor Brian, uh, he says whenever he gets stuck on a message, uh, he goes out for a run. And I imagine JP goes out, goes out fishing. And I don't run or fish, but I thought I would give running a try because I really wanted to, to land this message. And I, you know, I warm up on the treadmill you know, with, with running, but the reality is I don't have the knees for running, <laughs> or the feet, or the ankles, or the attention span, <laughs> or the desire. I hate running. But you know, God always speaks to Brian in these ways, so like, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it a shot too. And nothing happened. I ran 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I walked, nothing happened. I'm like, I, I have no conclusion for this sermon. The next morning, I woke up, and my feet were in pain, obviously, because I'm not a runner. You know, God gives revelation to Brian, and God gave me shin splints. <laughs> and as I was nursing, like, my, 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 the tightness in my feet, I'm wondering, why, why did I do that? It also got me thinking about the pain of life. Every good thing is painful. Running, exercise, painful. Family life, painful. Church life contains pain. There's pain in, in, in every aspect of every good thing in life. There's, there's disappointment. There's, there's pain in conflict. There's pain in the, in the little battles to the, to the major battles. There's pain from the deserts and the valleys and, and the countless storms of life and, and all those metaphors we have for all of this. And then I realized something. Like, like as if it were a whisper from Jesus. If you can relate to that type of pain, maybe you have what it takes then to be an ambassador for Jesus. Maybe you have what it takes to be a peacemaker. And the reason is this. To be a peacemaker, not only do you need to understand peace, but you need to understand pain. And this world is filled with so much pain. Right now, as we end this year, people are going to be describing the lists of pains that they endured throughout this year. And unfortunately for many of us, our pains are going to continue into the next year. The pains don't really understand the chronology or the turn of the calendar type of a thing. They're, they're coming with us. And so can we be peacemakers in all the various ways that are needed? Maybe you don't see yourself as a peacemaker. Maybe you see yourself as the person with the, with the statistics. Maybe you see yourself as the persuader. Maybe you see yourself as the person with like compelling talking points. And I love you. Everybody loves you. But that's not helpful. What's going, to, what's going to change hearts is peace, not more statistics. What's going to, what's going to reunite families and, and save relationships is peace, not more persuasion. That's what it's going to take, the peace of Jesus. So friends, don't wait until you're perfect before you start helping because you're going to miss out on the kingdom of God. We get healthier as we repent and as we serve others. We get stronger in the failure. 
And we can experience that type of, of, of peace, the Jesus type of peace in conflict, in loneliness, in anxiety, because that is what our world needs. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your scriptures. We thank you that the peacemakers are the ones who are blessed. We thank you, Lord, for these beatitudes, and may we reflect more on them. We pray, Lord, that they would change our hearts and change our posture and, and change us, Lord, as we enter into a new year. And Lord, we, we pray for peace, your type of peace. We, we pray for your type of peace in the Middle East. May you be with every Palestinian and Israeli. May you be with my fellow Egyptians. May you be with my fellow Americans and the countless citizens of this world, all your children. You love each and every single one of us. And so may you give us the eyes, Lord, to treat each other the way that, that you would want us to. May you help us, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, as we enter into this new year, may you help us to be peacemakers. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.